The reading for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. It's a long, long one. Reading from the English, Stan- English Standard Version. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even uh, with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into those pigs, let us enter into them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down a steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country what they had seen, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and when when, when they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had a legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had seen it described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And then they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might be with him. But he did not permit him and said to him, go home to your friends and tell him, them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. The word of God. Please be seated. A pretty cool story, right? Yeah? Or as Pastor Otis says, no. When we talked about this story in pastoral staff meeting, Pastor Otis was like, I do not understand why this is an all our children's story. It is a terrific, horrific story. A pretty cool story, a pretty horrific story. Jesus healed a possessed crazy man and now he's better, right? Right. And also, there's more. We cannot diminish the story simply to a crazy man who is now better, as good as that news is. Because this was a living person in a dead place among the tombs. So let's look at this story a little more closely. Verse one tells us that Jesus and the disciples went to the other side. They went to the other side. Now, geographically speaking, here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' ministry takes place in Galilee 
and then on the way to Jerusalem in the south, and then in Jerusalem, the Gospel of Mark is divided into these three sections. The Galilean ministry, Jesus on the way to the cross, and then Jesus' Passion Week in Jerusalem. And as we see, there is on the east side of Galilee, we find this disputed territory. Even today, this is disputed territory. It was in Syria's hands, and then in the 60s, uh, Israel laid claim to it. And to this very day, 2,000 years down the line, this piece of property, this, this area, geographical area, is still disputed. At that time, it was nothing different. Our three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have different names for the town or city to which Jesus went to the other side to. Went from Capernaum to the other side. Jerasa, Jergasa, or Gadara. You could see how the scribes potentially slipped up on this one. Three different cities. Which one was it? Well, we don't know. But we do know that it was in the Decapolis, 10 cities, that was under Roman occupation. And many think that perhaps it's the one on the top of the map you see the, the here today it would be the Kersey National Park. Simply because the Kersey National Park, there is this hill that you see there that is close to the ocean, and a herd of pigs could easily go into the ocean from there. Some of the other towns mentioned in the other Gospels are not close to the ocean. So, David Johnson just told me today that he sailed across from Capernaum to there, and they had terrible Peter's fish or something like that. The point is, we don't really know what the city was. But the point is clear. Jesus went to the, Jesus went to the other side. And Jesus did not only geographically go to the other side, but Jesus theologically went to the other side. You see, the phrase, the other side, occurs five times in the Gospel of Mark. And each time, Jesus is moving across the sea or the lake to the other side. And so every time Jesus goes to the other side, he's on the sea. And we know from what Pastor Raywin had shared with us last week that the sea, the waters, the ocean represented in Jewish thinking chaos. And this going to the other side comes right on the back of the story Pastor Raywin preached about last week. The calming of the storm. And so Jesus goes to the other side geographically, but more importantly, theologically, missionally. Jesus goes to the other side and he goes from Jewish territory to Gentile territory under Roman occupation. And so Jesus crosses the ocean to tell us something about otherness. There's immediately the sense of otherness and danger once you get, when, once Jesus gets into the boat. Danger and otherness, a storm comes up and then a demon-possessed man in a Gentile territory confronts Jesus. Jesus goes to the other side. Othering is a problem in our world and in our lives. We know that othering happens because of ethnicity, because of nationality, because of race. Just think of us needing to celebrate Black History Month. Othering happens in this instance between Jew and Gentile. 
But in our lives, in our world, we also experience this othering through ethnicity, nationality, race, age, disability, gender identity, sex, sexual orientation, language, religion, political affiliation, skin color, socioeconomic status. Should I go on? We all experience othering. We all are complicit in othering. And this is made even more clear in the gospel here, not only a geographical and physical thing, when it says that there was an unclean spirit. There's unclean spirit, there's unclean pigs. Jews and pigs don't go like a long while, right? And then there are tombs, which for Jewish people to be in the tombs among the dead will make them unclean as well. So Jesus goes from Jewish to Gentile territory that's already unclean, but now is confronted with an unclean spirit in an unclean country, in an unclean environment with unclean animals. Jesus goes from the safe side to the other unclean side. Christopher Burden says it this way, the construction of the other, specifically as e evil, permits and justifies violence, exclusion, and the refusal of repentance and change. Did you hear that? The construction of the other, specifically as evil, Jew, Gentile, young, old, black, white, the construction of the other, specifically evil, permits and justifies violence, exclusion, and the refusal of acceptance and change. And we see the story playing out. We see this playing out in the story in Mark chapter 5. Jesus is on the other side. He seeks out the other side. Confronted by a man possessed with an evil spirit outside the city, being othered. In the tombs, being othered chained and shackled. We have to back up. Somebody chained and shackled him, or at least tried to chain and shackle him. We assume it's the people in his town. Maybe his family, maybe his religious community. Othered. No one could subdue him. Othered. And he experienced this tremendous pain that he would cut himself with stones, trying to end the torment that he's experiencing. And the community, though they appear to have tried to help, they other him. And Jesus goes to the other side. In fact, Jesus crosses from Capernaum to this side for this man and this man alone, and then gets in the boat and all the way back. That's like taking your friend to LAX during rush hour traffic and coming back. No, take an Uber. Jesus does not take an Uber for this man. Jesus goes directly to the other side, just for this man, and then goes back. Because Jesus wants to tell us something about othering, the danger of othering, and what we need to do in order to embrace the other. Jesus goes to the other side to heal, to restore, to embrace, and to include. What Jesus was supposed to do is stick to the ceremonial laws, which said, other, separate, stay away, unclean. Jesus rushes into otherness and embraces the unclean. Jesus went to the other side. 
Yeah, geographically, but theologically and missionally. And then we see this question. We're in a series called Question Mark, the questions that Jesus asks in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus asks this man, what is your name? And this is a question of identity. There are lots of exorcisms that happen in the Gospels and specifically in the Gospel of Mark. And whenever there's a question to a demon or somebody possessed by a demon, it is always about identity. Because names are important in exorcisms. It is a major weapon. And we see the demon already trying to wrestle power from Jesus. It's a power play. Because the demon says first, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? Jesus, uh, the demon names Jesus first. The demon's like, ah, I've got one leg up in this battle between the two powers. The demon tries to, to name Jesus and he does, but Jesus turns it around, as always happens in the Gospel of Mark, and says, what is your name? Now, the pronouns in this story are kind of complex and difficult. It says, when he saw Jesus, he ran and bowed before him, he shouted. Are we talking about the unclean spirit, or are we talking about the man possessed? It is not a linguistic problem, but it is a problem of identity for anyone who has a demon. Who am I? Who am I apart from and in cohesion with this demon? Can I be separated from it? What is your name is a question of identity and it's a question we all struggle with. We become identified with the disease, our diseases and our failures. What worse condition is there then to ask who am I and not being able to answer? This man has no identity apart from his affliction. How many of us are defined by our failures? I'm going to share with you a long quote, but I love this quote from David Lowe's, who says the following. Don't we also tend to define ourselves in terms of our deficiencies and setbacks, our disappointments and failures? Not always, of course, but enough to rob us of the abundant life God hopes that we experience and share. Why is it that every time we want to take a risk and in this way be vulnerable, we are reminded of every failure, every disappointment we've ever experienced before? Perhaps because we've allowed these things to possess us. We too are legion. There are so many voices trying to possess and discourage us that we might still call them legion. Yet against all of them stands the still small but mighty voice of the one who still crosses the ocean and boundaries to tell us of God's love and call us back to our right minds and grace-filled identities. You are awake, praise God. This man is occupied by demons. He has lost his own identity. He could not even say his own name. 
In Greek, by the way, it says it's not a man with an unclean spirit. It is a man in an unclean spirit. This man is entirely swallowed up by the demon and has no identity, no voice. Jesus asked for your name to restore identity, to bring into belonging, to release the true selves, to affirm who you are and not what you have done. What is your name? Legion, for we are many. Sorry, I don't know how to speak like that. Legion, or perhaps it's more irritating. Legion! <laughs> Not quite familiar with how demons speak, but. What is your name? Legion, for we are many. This is the demon answering, not the man. To give their name is to hand power over to Jesus. When Jesus asked, what is your name? The question to us is, will we hand over our power, our name to Jesus? Legion, for we are many. And now, friends, we move from the personal to the political. From personal to political, from individual to communal. When I mean political, polis means city, how we arrange ourselves as a society, not politics, politics how we've come to think about it. We move from the personal to the communal, from, from, from the personal to the political. Because you see, legion is a clear allusion to Roman authority. A legion was an occupying force that possessed people's land, an occupying force, a company of 6,000 soldiers. In the story of Mark, it talks about a herd of pigs. Pigs don't travel in herds. But the word herd is actually the word used for groups of military recruits. When, Jesus, when, when Mark says Jesus gave them permission to go into the pigs, the word is not gave them permission. The word is to discharge them, to dismiss them, which is again a military term. And when the pigs rushed over the, over the edge, the word rushed is what was used for armies rushing into battle. Mark cannot be clearer. The personal is important, but the political is too. See, the Gospel of Mark was written around the 60s, when there was the great Jewish revolt and the temple, Jerusalem, was destroyed in Jerusalem. And so we had this army, Legio X-10, Legio X Fraternis, was a company that was one of the most fearsome in the Roman Empire. You can see some of the coins that were found from that time, and you will see that a boar or a wild pig is the symbol for Legio X Fraternis. 
Are you with me? Their symbol is a wild boar, a pig. See it on coins and on stamps. And so Vespian, the emperor, was sent to Galilee to the other side to suppress the Jewish revolt. And so in June of 67, he, Vespian, marched into Galilee and the first city to fall was Gabara. 40,000 people died during the siege. And then two years later, Titus, his brother came when he became emperor and from 69 to 71, captured Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. And in a period of four months, legion killed a million people. And 70,000 people were taken as prisoners. The wild boar did its damage. Legion, we are many. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We often quote this to say, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood and then we miss the middle part and go to but against heavenly forces. Let everybody else do that. No, no, no. We wrestle against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers like empires, is what Jesus says. Mark links the evil powers occupying the demoniac with the brutal occupying presence of Rome in this story. A man is possessed. A land and a people is possessed. Already in Mark chapter 1, by the way, we see the clue to this because Mark chapter 1 starts the beginning of the good news of Jesus. The word good news is eongilion which is evangelism, good news. We talk about that, but originally the word eongelion was used for Roman emperors. And the gospel authors took that and subverted that to say, no, Jesus is the one who brings the good news. Mark is very clear. Jesus is about personal and corporate liberation. Jesus moves from Jewish preoccupation with Gentile and unclean to empire. We could say from an imagined oppressor, Jew, Gentile, to a very real oppressor, Rome. Powers, systems, institutions that oppress and occupy, Jesus comes to liberate. By the way, the pigs go back into the sea and as Adventists, we know, Re Revelation 13, the Roman Empire comes from the sea. And so Jesus overthrows the wild boars with their power into the very ocean from which they came. By the way, this is a humorous story to the Jews who are listening and going like, yeah, Jesus, you tell them. Jesus, they go into the sea, the pigs, and a new exodus comes with Jesus because in exodus, Pharaoh's army is swallowed up 
by the sea. And in Mark 5, Rome's legion is swallowed up by the sea. Wherever there's oppression, you'll find Jesus. Wherever there is suffering, you will find Jesus. Wherever there is poverty or loneliness or sickness or pain, wherever there is oppression, you will find Jesus. For God so loved the world. God loved individuals, yes, but God loves the world and Jesus frees us personally and corporately. Jesus wants us to take this occupied name, legion, and drown it, free it, so that this man can recover his name and thus his identity. Makes me think about immigrants and foreigners coming to new countries. Very often, when an immigrant goes to a new country, they change their name so that the people in the new place can say their name without any problem. We are all familiar with this, right? Many of our Central, South American, Asian, Eastern European friends have names such as Bob or Jim, etc. There's an immigrant that most of you know me as an immigrant from South Africa who goes by another name, Devo. It's not my name. My name is that. You know how to say it? Well, this is how most people would say it when I came to the US. They would say DeWalt. <laughs> There's a reason I don't stick with DeWalt. All these phone calls that came, uh, you know, these cold calls that come, like, can I speak to DeWalt? Not here, thankfully. <laughs> A friend in South Africa nicknamed me Devo, but once I came to the U.S. here and struggled time after time, especially when I started as youth pastor here, my accent was very thick 20 years ago. The youth struggled, you know, I would say rubbish bin and soda cans, and you know, they struggled, and they're old. So I just scratched that out and stuck with Devo. Because that is what you do to survive on the other side. You suppress your identity, your voice, because the power of the collective other is over you. And you compromise. And you give in. And you lose identity. I have often thought about changing 20 years down the line for you to not call me Pastor Devo, but Pastor Devault. And what we have to do with our immigrant friends and others is to learn their names and say, I commit to learn to say your name. And I will make a mistake, but I'm gonna commit to learning it. So you can learn my name if you like. It's dear without the R, dear, <laughs> dear vault, dear vault. Good luck. <laughs> 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 
The point is, Jesus redeems this man from the powers that name him and restores his true identity as someone who is loved and whole. And I'm sorry for taking more time. Just give me a few more minutes. You're with me, yeah? We can have lunch later. This is important. They were afraid. Verse 15 says, and then they came, the townsfolk, to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in, in his right mind. And you would think they would go, amen. They saw the formerly demon-possessed man clothed and in his right mind, and they were, they were afraid. They were not afraid when the man was possessed and in the tombs. They were not afraid when he was crying out at night, tormenting himself. But now, when he is redeemed, they are afraid. You see, it's because the status quo is often easier to deal with than with those who are oppressed. They cared more about their pigs than the person. We become desensitized about the suffering and the pain in our world. They were afraid of the man in his right mind, not about his suffering. As I read this week, we often prefer the devil we know to the freedom we do not. Mercy. We often prefer the devil we know to the freedom we do not. In our own lives, in our society, they ask Jesus to leave. Fear. Because once systems are dismantled, we are unsure and we are afraid. By the way, there are other demoniac stories in the Gospel of Mark. And in each of those other demoniac stories in the Gospel of Mark, there is social support in the, in the respective communities. For the demoniac in the synagogue in chapter one, there is the people in the synagogue surrounding him. In chapter one, a little bit later, when the story of all the possessed Galileans, there is a community surrounding them. In chapter seven of Mark, when the Syrophoenician woman with the demon, she has a community around her. And then in chapter nine, the boy with the evil spirit, there's a community around us. In this story, there is not. The community had othered this man. There is no community for this man to advocate for him. They were afraid of the status quo being broken apart wanted to hold on to the fake power they had. They were afraid. And Jesus comes to advocate for this man. And only this man. He makes this long trip through a storm to the other side for just this man and back on the 91 freeway. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus invites you and me to do the same. I've got two more pages. This is the end of the story. 
the end of the story, we see them moving from fear to faith. By the way, there are three beggars in the story. Three times we find the word begging happening here. First of all, we have the demon, the unevil, uh, the, the, the unclean spirit, legion, begging for Jesus not to send them out of the region. Because by the way, Roman Empire does not care about individual liberation. They want to suppress the whole. They want to stay in the region. The, the legion, legion begs Jesus not to send them out of the country and Jesus obliges. And then legion begs Jesus to send them into the pigs so that they can still have some control over destruction. And Jesus says, sure. The town folks come be back, and when they see this man sitting and clothed in his right mind, they beg Jesus to leave. And what does Jesus do? He gets in the boat to go back to the other side. And then we see this delivered man begging Jesus to go with him, to follow him, to be safe in Jesus' embrace. And Jesus says, no. Jesus listens to the request of a demon. Jesus listens to the request of afraid and othering people. Jesus does not listen to the request of the delivered man. Jesus says to him, go home and tell your friends and tell the, the towns just how much the Lord had done for you and how he had mercy on you. Othering alienates is hurtful and painful, but stay on the other side. Because yes, Darren, one conversation makes a difference. Stay on the other side and tell what the Lord had done. And it says, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for them. And everyone was amazed. Now you're amazed. They were afraid, and because of Jesus, they are amazed. Jesus proceeds to the other side. In the Gospel of Mark, we see this. Jesus proceeds to the other side, which sometimes means east, sometimes means west, sometimes means Jewish territory, sometimes means Gentile territory. If Jesus had a GPS on his sweet yacht, not like Mark Bezos' yacht, that was in the news. If Jesus had GPS on his boat, you would see something like this. Because Jesus crosses to the other side time and time and time again. Reminds me of Rosa Parks, who yesterday would have been 109, who said, over the years, I've been rebelling against second-class citizenship, othering. I've been rebelling against second-class citizenship. It didn't begin nor end when I was arrested. We focus on this one moment, but we don't know that Rosa Parks, for all her life before and after this miraculous, amazing event, worked tirelessly for the liberation of her people. That's what Jesus does here. He crosses over all boundaries all the time. Jesus is crossing without end for the sole purpose to liberate oppressed people and oppressed lands. 
Jesus does not care about boundaries, but he goes straight to the source of abuse and power and dismantles personal and structural oppression. Jesus crosses the boundary, not just to tell us that we are loved. Jesus crosses the boundary showing us that we are loved. It is one thing to tell us from Capernaum all the way across the sea, you're loved. It is quite another to get on the 91 and pick you up at LAX and give you a, a hug and say, welcome home, come with me. Actually stay and make your place a better place. But here is a big embrace. I love you. And in the Gospel of Mark, this man is the first to preach the Gospel besides Jesus. Amen. One more page. <laughs> Makes me think of a story I read this week as part of my <clears throat> spiritual practice during Black History Month. I subscribe to various um, black authors and storytellers. Uh, and in my email this week for a 28-day challenge, uh, yesterday, in fact, as I was preparing this, an email came about Henry Box Brown. Never heard the story, which is why we educate ourselves. Henry Brown was born an enslaved person on a plantation in Virginia. His wife was pregnant and he had three kids. His pregnant wife and three kids were enslaved at a neighboring plantation. And at one point he heard that his wife and three kids were sold to a owner who enslaves people in North Carolina. And they were separated. And over time, Henry Brown could not take this anymore. And he decided to liberate himself. And so he got in contact with the Underground rail Railroad people. We all know about the Underground Railroad, network of black people and abolitionists helping to free people from the South. Most of us probably think that the Underground Railroad was mainly about underground passageways, but in fact, as I learned this week, that was not common. What was common was that people mostly traveled various routes, not underground, but just various routes to the north to transport themselves and worked in communities and connectivity in order to make the way up. And so what Henry Brown decided to do is to ship himself north in a wooden box, three by two by two feet. With the help of the Underground Railroad people, he boxed himself, put himself in this shipping container and shipped off. He was not sure if he would survive. He spent 27 hours in this box on his way to freedom, he hoped. And at one point, he did put this side up. Unfortunately, he got turned upside down. And for many, many hours, he was turned completely upside down with all the blood going into his head and he feared for his life. But praise God, after 27 hours, he made it to the other side, to the north. And they opened the box and there you see the famous drawing of him. It's called The Resurrection of Henry Box Brown. I love that. 
Sometimes those without a voice need to speak up for themselves. But that is wrong. But here's the beautiful thing. When Henry Box Brown was resurrected and unboxed, he came out and he could have just stopped there and be thankful that he was free to try to find his family eventually and be away from this oppressive othering. But he chose not to. In fact, he used his very own story of being boxed in order to be liberated and worked for the end of enslavement. He showed the horrors of what enslavement meant. And he published, you can see on the, on the right there, he published a book telling his story. And in fact, he traveled all through North America and, and then to Europe telling his story and he, began, he became a magician and his main act was getting into this very box that he boxed himself in and disappearing. How creative for the person who was boxed, whose voice was shut down, who is liberated, did not just live in that freedom but used it to free others. A magician becomes a master at teaching us what it means to go to the other side. And his legacy helped end enslavement. And more so, create opportunities for black entertainers to perform. This is what he said. Buoyed by the prospect of freedom, I was willing to dare even death itself. Jesus crosses without ending. And he invites this demon-possessed man who is now liberate to do the same. And I ask myself this question. Could it be that every one of us experiences evil in our lives? Could it be that every one of us have some kind of experience today that we call hell on earth? Could it be that everyone feels the need to have demons exercised from their lives at some point? Every person, you and I, we are like this demoniac. We all fight forces in one way or another. We do so individually. We do so collectively. But we do so with Jesus who crosses without end to bring freedom and hope and liberation wherever he goes. May we do the same.